All right. We are back with Bud and Blood. Billy Coyne here, along with my magnificent co-host, the co-host with the most, the one introduce yourself, my lovely assistant, yet co-host. <laughs> and we have our guest here. Introduce yourself, please. Here's Brian Paulin from uh, Mob Vision Films. Very Fuck cool. Yeah, you are. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about uh, what was the company's name? Malt, they said? Morbid Vision Films. Morbid Vision, yes. So tell us about Morbid Vision. You've been, um, been, been a filmmaker with um, Morbid Vision. For a long time. We actually started, me and my friend Rich George, we started just out of high school. So like in 1990. Oh, and, wow. Yeah, we're old. Oh, <laughs> uh, cool. Uh, so, so were you guys filming like before? Like, I mean, everything is digital. Using like high eight back then and or like all the different formats, you know, from the early night. What mediums did you guys film on out of curiosity? Yeah, we used a little bit of everything. Um, cause back then and just, it was tough to get a hold of video cameras cause even like the crap quality stuff expensive and we we're just out of high school. So we had like no money, but the very first shot we did, uh, his cut had one of those, um, eight millimeter, not film, but the eight millimeter, whatever. It's like a little Bolex yeah. windups. No, we, we weren't, was it, it was just, it was the video, but it was called, it, they were called eight millimeter. I don't okay. know why. Yeah. But, um. That was the, we borrowed that and we made a, like a 10 minute short. And once we finished that and got it, I did, just loved it. And we got hooked right away. So then uh, Rich ended up, you know, ended up getting, borrowing money from his parents or whatever. And he ended up buying a video camera, you know, a big VHS camcorder. So that's what we were using for a while. Really, That's really cool. I mean, you know, it's, it's to meet people and talk to people in that time frame and they were shooting, you know, pre-digital of just how difficult sometimes this industry can be when you're dealing with um actual like to real you know and shooting with you know vhs and you know transferring stuff uh you know, whatever format um and this is back when when it was somewhat of the case would you say or no i mean everything we we're doing we we're just doing completely just just all vhs i mean even editing it was just trying to figure out we're just doing whatever we do, and we had nothing. We had absolutely nothing available to us, so we're like, like do-it-yourself type filmmaking right here. This yeah, is the best. I mean, DIY, I think, is a style of filmmaking because we you were know, as you could possibly get. I mean, we were so bottom. I mean, we were we were putting two VCRs together and editing that way. That's how we got our first put together. Oh shit! I didn't I mean, know that. It was definitely a process back then. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, uh, so I take it, uh, like, what, I mean, you love horror. I, you know, I mean, I see you at all the conventions. Um, any horror shorts would you say that you have made, you know, um, from when you, where you're at right now? I think we made seven short films before, before we finally did a full length movie. And, 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 uh, was- we made that in 1994, and now, just now, it finally got an official release <laughs> after all these years. Congratulations. 
Thank you. It's really yeah. weird that phone was interested. We're like, all right, great, awesome. So now, do you guys also self distribute, or um, do you guys um, go through uh, different distributors? Uh, once we started getting into the digital filmmaking, um, I was signing with distributors then. I worked with three different distributors in the United States and it just got to the point where either there was just, they were constantly lying to you. There was always an excuse why there was no royalty checks. I mean, we weren't doing it for the money, but you expect, you know, your movies, you see your movies actually in retail stores, yeah. but yet you get any royalty checks. So it's like, well, what the hell's going on? Um, like someone's getting paid for your work. Yeah. Everyone else, everyone else is getting paid and making money except for us, the people who actually made yeah. the movie. I mean, but, it's, I mean, it's difficult. it was cool to have the exposure. Yeah, the exposure is always good, but we, sometimes when you're, when you're dealing with unscrupulous elements, you know, as distributors, sometimes it can be a little bit of a headache, especially on the financial side, knowing when you should see a return. But they're yeah. saying that there is no money, but it's like we, they made profit. So what the hell are you yeah. talking about? <laughs> well, I mean, when one of the movies, you get told that um, Hollywood Video picked up almost 8,000 copies of one of your movies. And it, I was just like, holy shit, this is amazing. But then you never see a dime of it. And it's like, well, what the hell's going on? <laughs> yeah. What was the point? But it's funny because you hear stories about, you know, certain distributors. You know, I mean, uh, um, a buddy of ours, actually, Joe Castro, uh, along mm-hmm. with Matt, he kind of helps, you know, crack down on some of these unscrupulous folks, you know, to just try to figure out, you know, who are the good guys, you know, to go with. Yeah. And there's only a small handful of them because, you know, a lot of them are just willing to, you know, Rob, uh, what's the saying? Um, Rob Barry to pay Paul, you know, and just kind of yeah. have that, you know, almost back end, you know, side deals where it's like, is this legitimate? It's like, well, yeah, there's contracts, but it's like, what the hell is going on here? Yeah, exactly. I mean, even when I talk to distributors from Europe and they'll, one of them told me straight, I goes, Oh yeah, us distributors are notorious for just ripping everyone off. I'm like, Oh, great. <laughs> you guys know from over there. All right. At least they know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I mean, so we signed with like three different distributors, two, yeah, three different ones, and then um, basically what happened was once I got married, um, Stacy, she's the business manager. She's like, I'll do it. I'll sell the movies. Let's self distribute, and I'll handle all the business side of it and everything. So now that I had another person instead of just me having to do all the business side of it, I was like, okay, let's go for it. And we've been self distributing ever since. Yeah, because it seems like, you know, every single year, you know, when I see you at a con, you always have like one or two new movies. So, you know, it's nice that you have, uh, you know, some features that you always have lined up where if it's stuff you're, you're, you're distributing or, you know, if it's someone else. But it's always nice when you actually can have those copies. So you yeah. can actually, you know, sell them, you know, at festivals and events. Yeah, I mean, that's one. You, that you can like do whatever you want to do in life. Like you are living mm-hmm. proof, Brian. Yeah, well, somehow we found a way to pull it off. I, I always tell people because people are like, oh, well, this, that, you know, how do you do this? I'm like, if we were able to do it and I'm able to get movies like into Japan, I still really have nothing. <laughs> we're not working with any budgets. We're still as underground as you can imagine. You know, even equipment wise, my editing equipment is so out of date. But when you just want to do it, you find any way possible and you get it done. Yeah. And you found there's your a world, there's a way. Yeah. Damn right. I love the gore horror. Like, you're not just horror. Like, you were, like, 
let's cut this fucking person in half and like show you all the fucking gore and disgustingness of it. Like I fucking love that. It gets me so giddy. <laughs> That's definitely the yeah. fun part. <laughs> and it's funny because you know even figuring stuff like that out, you know, on a budget, like how can we get the most bang for our buck? You know, even though only have a dollar and a quarter, and you know, sometimes you're like, okay, we can make the fake blood ourselves. You know, we'll go the Karo syrup and go that route. And basically, what I'm doing right now is I need to make almost about 40 feet of intestines. So sure. you know. I'm using paper towels, pantyhose, and then I'm going to be covering it all in latex. And I mean, latex is really kind of what I'm, our big saving grace is. That's probably what we invest the most money in, I would imagine, as, you know, genre filmmakers, especially for low budget stuff. Yeah. That and glue. A lot and of glue. glue. Yeah. yeah. Well, I saw that a, bo- a bottle of, uh, uh, what is it called? Um, silicone adhesive, the small ones are now going for almost 150 bucks. So, oh, yeah. you know, silicone is starting to get really pricey. It wasn't this way, um, you know, a few years ago, but inflation definitely has gone up with, um, you know, certain uh, special makeup effects materials. Yeah. I've never done, I've honestly never made any uh, silicone prosthetics or anything just because it's so expensive. I'm fine with using foam latex. Yeah. Now, do you have your own oven or what? Oh, just the same. Like, I like using, like, the toilet paper and, like, the latex and the glue. Like, I like using the stuff that I'm very familiar with. I'm yeah. willing to learn everything, though, but I like what I'm comfortable with. Do you, do you, uh, do you have your own, like, foam oven, or do you actually use, you know, um, your home oven? I just use the home oven. Yeah, I just, you know, it's just what I've always done, and just, again, if I'm going to spend, you know, whatever amount of money... I'd rather put it into the actual materials rather than yeah. however much a, a big large oven is going to cost. Normally what I'll do is I can fit almost all the type of molds that I make that go in there. But when it comes to like, if I'm making like a chess piece or just anything that would be too big for it, I'll let it sit out in the sun or I'll let, I'll keep it in the garage. I'll just let it air dry for like two weeks. If I know something's too big to be, uh, to actually cook, I'll allow the amount of time so I know it can air dry and eventually it does, you know, become hard enough where it'll yeah. keep it. And we're lucky with this time of year, if you need to make anything of substance, you know, you can put it out in the sun, you know, for, you know, a few days and hopefully it'll cure maybe in the full week. If yeah. we don't get any rain, cause it always sucks when you kind of need to cover those things up, you know, oh, yeah. actually, you know, when the rains come. <laughs> it sucks right now. I'm actually, for some reason, it's the first time I've had this happen is, I'm making like um, legs for a creature and I actually, you know, I'm making it on a pair of sweatpants and for some reason it's not keeping shape. It's not hardening up all the way. So I'm like, all right, I'm either got to bring, I have it on mannequin legs. I'm going to have to bring it outside or I'm going to have to set up a little closed area and put like a, a propane heater on it to try to get it to finally cook enough. Yeah. I've learned um, in some occasions uh, duct tape, uh, you know, can work almost making like a duct tape dummy. Where, you know, with creature legs, if if they're small enough, you can almost take like some wire and just kind of duct tape them, and you can kind of bend them and shape them on top of whatever form that you you know. If you're, or I guess sweatpants in this situation, yeah. Maybe bulk them out. I'm not sure if that's what you're looking for. I'm basically just making. It's for a full creature suit, and um, for the legs, I'm like, I'm just going to make the uh, the prosthetics right on clothing. 
So that way there, he can just actually just pull them on. We can pull them tight enough, you know, clamp them if we have to, whatever it takes, you know, just to get the, the shots from the front and the sides and stuff. But yeah, it is great when, uh, you know, you have like, you know, almost like a John Close, you know, mannequin that can fit on your actor and you can basically just kind of put all the pieces on, you know, almost like the Giver suit, I guess you would say, you know, kind of have a cool design, you know, put it on in pieces or like Robocop and, yeah. you know, and then really kind of just whether if you need uh, like belt buckles, you know, kind of in the back of certain prosthetics. So, you know, yep. like if, if you're at a joint and you're bending something, it just sucks when, you know, it's like, all right, I can't, I can't bend all the way. I can't grab the girl. I can't <laughs> grab the girl. Luckily, this creature's got a lot of hair and it's got some fur and stuff. So that's, that definitely helps hide seams and stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's wonderful when you can add texture to something and it hides those yeah, yeah. lines. Yeah. It's definitely making it a lot easier, but God, it's just to make a full suit. This is when you realize just how, why like effects budgets are so high. Yes. Yeah. You don't realize until you're trying to cover like the entire human form, how much material it actually takes. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, I just got two gallons of latex that came in uh, just today. It cost me about like 120 bucks, you yeah. know, and for a whole suit, you know, you, you need more than, you know, two gallons, you know, you're lucky maybe with six. So, you know, that's where you're definitely, you know, spending money. But I get mine from Amazon. So, you know, they're always going to kill you with shipping costs, yeah. but. You know, it's not that bad. Do you get um, your any of your materials locally, or do you pretty much get all your materials online? Online, yeah. Actually, just last year was the first time I realized that Amazon sold, uh, you know, Monster Maker materials. I was like, oh my god, I can't believe they're selling foam latex. So, um, before that, I I ordered like directly from Monster Makers. Yeah, they're good people. I've ordered from them in the past. This used to suck. It's nice that they're now like in the middle of the country somewhere. I can't remember where they are, but Colorado, I believe. What's that? I think Colorado. Okay. When I used to my, I used to uh, order all my stuff from our uh, Bermans, and they're yeah. in California, so the shipping was like ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, Berman Industries. I mean, yeah, they definitely were costly. I mean, there's Alcone out of New York, but you know they usually don't have like foam latex kits. Yeah. But you know. Foam latex, you usually have to go through. Um, you usually have. Um, yeah, because usually you need to go through, uh, you know, like third parties, you know, to try to get like those. It's like what's closest in proximity that's not going to murder us the most with, you know, shipping and handling. Yeah. And when you can get those foam latex kits in New York, you know, that's great because, you know, it's like, okay, I'll do a standard shipping and handling because it's always nice when you can kind of push out your dates of like, we're going to need these materials by a certain time. Let's get them now. Let's start building everything. And yeah. that way I hate ordering like materials last minute and stuff like that. And then it's just so askew. And then it's like, why do we do this to ourselves? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wanted to know, Brian, uh, what is your favorite creature you made? Because uh, you've Voldemort. made some impressive, impressive stuff in the years. Uh, probably right now is um, for the new movie, Abysmal Purgatory. I made an eleven-foot-tall creature, like a Lovecraftian type thing. Ooh, and that was fun, just because how ridiculously big it was, and the fact that we were able to pull that off. 
Dude, I saw the tall. pictures. Like literally, it was like super tall, huge. Like <laughs> what? What? How? How'd you make that? On a ladder, actually. The base of it was a large metal ladder, and um, uh, I just a lot of foam. Um, underneath, on top of the ladder, I built the uh, the form of it using you know like the the fat you know not fabric but like the spongy type of foam stuff. Yeah, like in couches and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, just put that all in place. You know, gorilla taped it into the form I wanted, and then on top of that, I built on all the texture and the details. And I actually had to make it in two parts. Um, it was the body, and then the head was made separate. And we had to take it out in two parts, and then we had to go up the ladder and then put the head in place. And that's what brought it up to the eleven foot tall uh, mark. <laughs> but it was cool. Just it was fun work working with that thing because it was just so damn big. But yeah, yeah I just uh, ambitious, and I was like, screw it, I'm gonna go for it. One of my biggest inspirations because I, I mean, I much prefer DIY filmmaking. I mean, even though I went to school like to learn how to make stuff like Hollywood style. I think it's more fun when you're doing like out of kit techniques yeah. because you need to figure it out for yourself. And I remember discovering people like Don Dohler who probably were like some became my favorite filmmakers because they were doing everything themselves, you know, figuring how to do the creatures, uh, the optics. And, you know, I still, even though he passed away a while ago, I still highly regard Don Dohler as probably one of the best DIY filmmakers, you know, of his time. Um, Alien Factor, I think, is just, you know, kind of one of his, ma- you know, he's done a lot of cool shit, especially within a science fiction, you know, realm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just fun just seeing what you can pull off. You know, I, when I first started doing this, I would see a lot of people saying, like, don't go beyond your limits. Don't, I mean, obviously, that's kind of true, but I would see a lot of people t- discouraging, pre- discouraging other people from being really ambitious. And I always disagreed with that. I'm like, why? Why not push as far as you can go? Yeah, because you test yourselves as a filmmaker what you can do with nothing to make Mm. something. And if you can, you might not get it the way exactly how you want it, but if you can get a facsimile of how you want it, it's like, God damn it. It's like, this looks better than it has any reason to. Yeah. But, you know, and it's all about, you know, trial and error, you know, experimenting. See what works, what didn't work. Just because it didn't work doesn't mean you're doesn't mean you're a failure in any way, shape, or form. It yep. just means you just go back to the drawing board and just you know figure out another way to go about it. Yep. Yeah, I had a creature. There's a creature effect that I did for this movie, and I was like, I wanted to do a cable control. That it's a totally different. T- it's almost like a worm type creature, and the head I wanted it to be cable controlled, and I wanted the four corners to be able to open up and move separately. But when I was doing it, I forgot about the, just the shape of it and that fact that the cables were kind of doing almost a 90-degree angle, and it didn't work at all. And I was like, crap, oh, what the hell? And then I realized what I did wrong. I was like, oh, that's why. All right. So I just I took it apart again. I redid it all, and then it worked the next time. But, you know, just kept trying. To, I kept doing it until I finally found a way that actually worked. Yeah, you know, because that's just how it is. You just need to... You know, I mean, they call it DIY, do it yourself for a reason. Yeah. You know. <laughs> and I still had, it was weird because I still had like weird angles. And I finally realized like the cables aren't going to work because the cable is causing too much friction. So I said, all right, I have to think of this completely different. Throw away the cables, which is the most important component of this. And I ended up using um 
uh, a threaded type of uh, fishing line. And then there was no, there was no friction being made inside the tubes in it. And that's what worked. I was like, all right, cool. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Cause, uh, I, I, I play, when I play with some, um, cable controlled animatronics, um, I was using like bicycle cable. Yeah. And, um, you know, I mean, I remember hearing about, about that in the movies, but it's like, well, how expensive is it? It really isn't that, you know, crazy expensive. It's just kind of rigging it, you know, that makes yeah. it a little more, you know, tedious than anything else. But, um, yeah, it's actually once you- not that expensive. It's just a matter of, it's so much work that has to go into doing all that. Yeah. Yeah. And just having that plan when you go up to your drawing board and being like, all right, here's, here's our schematic, you know, let's, we don't have to, to stick with it, but this at least gives us, you know, a blueprint and jumping off point. It's like, all right, now let's, you know, perf- perfect things, you know, a little bit. Yeah. And also one thing, the main thing I had to do, I was, I was trying to figure out how to be able to pull off the amount of effects we want to do and all that is like the Dick Smith course, the Dick Smith books I have, the Tom Savini books, everything else I have. I had to basically throw away a lot of what they told me because I realized they're all working. They all worked with uh, studio budgets. Yeah. So a lot of what they're talking about isn't realistic at our level. I'm like, no. I can't be making us like a mold for every single piece, you know, a mo- another mold just for the chin and all that crap and make sure I have a latex piece in like nine different ones for like the shoe. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to be able to afford that. So I had to like throw away a lot of that and figure out how to pull it off in this way and for in an underground type you know, reality. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I completely, yeah. I mean, I'm a, an, as an alumnus of Samini's and the makeup designery, after I came back to Boston, it's like, no one wants to work with these Hollywood budgets, you know, especially if it's, you know, low budget stuff that you're working on. And I call it the Chinese menu approach where it's yeah. like, all right, here's the prices. If you guys were the Hollywood system, but you're not, here's what we can do with the budget. And they're like, well, that's a little too much. And I'm like, well, don't throw in the towel just yet. It's like, then you have this option. This is basically, you know, latex, cotton, you know, uh, certain materials that are just easy to get. And we can just figure out ourselves. And that's just really when you're there with your cinematographer and your um, director and just being, like all right now let's see how this is going to work and we're just going to you know experiment and basically until we're content with the result that we get and we hopefully it looks cool and badass because that's you know what you're striving for yep so coming from uh massachusetts scream queen who is your (laughs) favorite scream queen brian oh geez um Wow, that's tough. I've always liked Ange- Adrienne Barbeau. She was always cool. What was she in? Uh, the Fog Creep Show. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she was, cur- she was killing. She, she gets her brain shot out in Creep Show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She gets Such her face fun. eaten by uh, Fluffy, the big uh, yeah. devil thing. <laughs> yeah, good old Fluffy. I, I, to me, that's, I mean, Creep Show is one of those, like, damn near perfect movies. Oh, I yeah. Mean, I- it's, it's, I can't say one segment is better than the other, but that one with Fluffy, the acting between Hal Holbrook and I, I forget the, the other guy's name, but you know that they, they were just not E.G. Marshall, but they were just 
Fritz Weaver segment. Huh? Fritz Weaver. Yeah. Fritz Weaver. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the two of them together. I mean, I just, I just love their chemistry. Yeah. They were great. They were perfect together. Yeah. There's just something about that movie. I don't know. It's, it's definitely my top three of all time. And it's just so much fun to watch. It's just, it's one of the most entertaining horror films that I've ever seen. I think. Now, of course, I when guess you... kind of like kid friendly as well. Like kind of. Yeah. It's actually, it's, I think that was one of the, I, that might've been the first R rated movie I ever rented when I was younger, when I was like 13 years old or whatever. I think that might've been my first one. Yeah. Not I, the first one I ever saw, but the first one I went and actually rented myself. Yeah. yeah. No, and I forgot. Yeah. She, she married Carpenter. Um, I think it th- was oh, the yeah. fog that they, uh, uh Started dating on, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think he was uh, married to Deborah Hill at the time, I think. Yeah. She was fun in, um, you ever see The Convent? I, not in a while. I I, I vaguely remember it. Yeah, she was in I don't think I have. Uh, Was it Mike Mendez directed it? It came out in the early 2000s, I think. Kind of campy. It was a lot more comedy than I expected, but it was fun. It was cool. And, uh, yeah, she was really good in it. She was only in about half of the movie, but. One of those and credits. <laughs> yeah. Was she in the Swamp Thing by Wes Craven? Yeah, she was. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty awesome. Wes Craven is the man. <laughs> I mean, I love that, uh, that Swamp Thing movie. I don't know why it gets a lot of shit, but, you know, it's just, uh, you know, Wes Craven is a good filmmaker. No matter what he gets thrown at him, he makes it work. Yep. I remember hearing how Deadly Friend, their reviews, were not that friendly at all towards him, but he's like, the hell with him. I'm, you know, I'm making the movies for the fans, not for the yep. critics. Mm-hmm. I still think the, the original Nightmare on Elm Street is oh, a classic movie. I mean, that first yeah. one is dark and it, it's actually, it is scary. It's well, Last yeah. House on the Left was dark too. Oh, yeah. That was very dark. Yeah. I mean, I love David Hess and he's always fun to watch, you know, mm-hmm. like in all those, uh, Italian, Italian movies, usually, whether if it was Claudio Fergasso or, um, Diodato, who did, uh, Campbell Holocaust. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Diodato worked with Hess a few times. Yeah, what? Oh, I can't remember the name of that movie. It's something with House in the title. House at the Edge of the Park. That's it. Yeah. Yep. I have yeah. a I have a fun story about him. Um, first time I ever finally went to um, Chilla Theater in uh, New Jersey, the convention there. Uh-huh. I've been wanting to go for years, and then um, then me and Stacy got married, and we finally. Um, she had actually gone the year before me. When she came, she used to live in Australia. She came to America and she went to that and met Savini and all that. So when she, once we were finally living together, she's like, we got to go to this thing. I'm like, all right, finally, I'll get to go to one. <laughs> Staying at the Sheridan where Chilu was held. And I'm like, oh, finally, I'm actually at this place. So we, we get in our room. We're in our room for like five minutes and there's a knock on the door. I open up the door. It's David Hess. He's, he's staying. He's like, hey, I'm in the room across from you. Can I check your heater? For some reason, they, the air conditioning won't come on. It's only the heater, and my room is, like, sweltering hot. I'm like, yeah, sure, go ahead. I'm like, <laughs> yes, what the hell? 
So that I was like, I chill out for five minutes before the convention even started. And David Hess is walking around in my hotel room. And I'm like, all right, this convention's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I love hearing stories like that because, you know, I mean, everyone is just, you know, they become friendly with, you know, for a weekend. And, yep. um, you know, I mean, especially with from the, I mean, whether it's the vendors, you know, or the collectors or even, you know, the celebrities that are there. It's like, you know, we're all fans. Oh, definitely. That's funny. You mentioned uh, Monster Expo. The first couple of times, well, actually, everyone I've been to, we didn't have a table the first year. I went, and a friend of mine had one, and we went and just hung around. But then we've had one since the second one until now. But when we're in there, you start walking around, and people are like, hey, you're from Rock and Shock, right? Hey, you, I remember you. And everyone's all like, it's like a lot of Rock and Shock people are now there. And Rock yeah. and Shock became this community over those 15 years. Oh, it totally like, did. It's like, I won't remember anyone's name. A lot of people, I don't know my name, but I see them. It's like, hey, how's it going? It's like, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, there really isn't, you know, I mean, it sounds like they were they were going to do something at Rock and Shock, like a, like a reface vamp or whatever. But I think that was just, you know, the, then COVID happened and then, you know, things really changed. But, you know, I'm really happy that Joe Souza has been able to, you know, create um uh, this wonderful experience, you know, in the form of a uh, monster expo, which has been going on for a few years now. And him and Wendy are doing a fantastic job, you know, at the show bringing, uh, you know, different vendors in, you know, great fun celebrity guests. And, you know, it was great seeing, you know, Linnea Quigley, who I hadn't, you know, seen since I think it was Scarecon, um, at the one in Springfield when she was here last in town, but, you know, and Patty Moen had never, I don't think done many, New England, you know, conventions. So, yeah. you know, from Christian Hooker. So there's, there's yep. a good lineup that he's able to get. It was fun. It's it's a fun atmosphere. So, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I'm glad it's taken off. Yeah. Are, are you going to be vending in um, October for uh, Monster Expo yep. 3D? Yep. We already have our table booked. Nice. Yeah, I got my table booked, too. Jesse's going to be there. And, uh, Damn right. The, boom-bast- <laughs> the Boombastic team and, um, you know, the our buddies from the dead kids of dairy and blood and bud. And so, yeah, it's gonna be the whole family's going to be the there. It's going to be a good whole, but that's what it, you're right. I mean, but it's like a horror family. Cause some of these conventions that you go to, it's almost like we're like nomads, you know, we, we see each other. It's like, Hey, I'll see you next year at the show. Yeah. And, you know, that's the fun thing about, you know, for the vendors, you know, seeing people. I mean, one of my favorite people was uh Vinny Pacheco. Um, and he's been doing the conventions, you know, for ages. He's the guy with the crazy handlebar mustache is always running around. <laughs> What's fun is just like, I remember back in Rocket Shock, we, you know, everyone gets to know everyone. Everyone's so used to seeing everyone at every convention. So when people would buy one of our movies from our table and they're like, Oh, can you sign? We're like, yeah, sure. Well, and so I'll sign it. Usually some of my friends who have been in the movies, they'll be there as well. So they'll sign it. And then we'll be like, okay, now when you're walking around, if you go down that way, look for this person that blah, blah, blah. He's in the movie. Now, if you go that way, that person's in the movie. So we're sending them all different directions. And it's like, oh, yeah, there's at least like 10 different people from this convention that's in this movie. And they're like, oh, my God, this is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) It's all about who you know and about like making that dream come true. And it's funny how they might be working on someone else's movie at the time, but they work for you. But, you know, when they're all there, it's like, hey, it's like a reunion, you know, for, you know, for filming. But That's how we got. I've met a lot of people. Uh, 
a lot of different people I've gotten in the movies over the last, you know, eight, 10 years or so has been through conventions. Uh, yeah, I've been lucky enough too, actually, to get some, some work, just makeup effects through the convention. Okay. Scene. I've even placed ads ever since I used to place ads on like doing of film.com and stuff, but ever since um, the conventions have, you know, taken off around here, I've never had to place an ad. I just get, I always end up meeting a lot of cool people. I get their information. And when something comes up, I'm like, Hey, I got this going on. You want to, you want to be a part of it? Yeah. And it's, especially if, you know, you're, you know, always, you know, or in some form of production, you know, and just getting your product out there, you know, it's uh, wonderful to have venues like this or, yeah. you know, even stuff like the Boston Underground Film Festival. Um, you know, sometimes those guys might have a few vendors and, um, but yeah, you know, I mean, in the city itself can be a little more difficult because, you know, they like to have the union halls and stuff like that, where it's kind of easier, you know, for a horror convention, if you don't have to go through the union, you know, and get a, you know, a, a hall that isn't in that way, you can kind of four wall everything to a certain extent and just, um, kick ass and bring vendors in and, you know, mm. celebrity guests just, just have a fun time. Yeah. I always prefer, I've never, one problem I have, I, I, I'm terrible at promoting myself. I'm terrible at promoting the movies. It's just, you know, same here, buddy. It's not just you. <laughs> but I've always, I'm definitely more gravitate towards the convention thing because it's, you know, it's all fans. I never yeah. really seeked out film festivals. I've been to a some, but it's it's just a lot. Some of the experience I've had <laughs> is just dealing with all egos. Yeah. So I prefer the more fan based type stuff. And it works better, especially when you have because I mean, like George James Frazier, you know, has the festival component. You know, like at Monster Expo, or like how at Rock and Shock they used to have their own, you know, like little film. Yeah. Um, you know, where they could screen stuff there. And but I agree with you. I mean, you know, if fans want to go see, you know, new movies, then they should be looking into their, you know, local festivals because, you know, it's 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 always fun to see what's what homegrown horror is being made, you know, yes. in our own state. And it can shock you. That's <laughs> for sure. Absolutely. It's surprising many people are around here doing stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it's always interesting how you know, some people will always, um, you know, work with the same folks, you know, which is not a bad thing at all. And I like seeing people that I know who have worked with one company. So they might work with another company. It's like, I'm glad they discovered him. It's like, you know, that's, he's, he's another great artist. So, you know, yeah. I always like seeing, you know, different artists, you know, branch into different, you know, production companies, you know, here in Massachusetts. That's cool. Because, I mean, it's, it's really, really is a small community, if you kind of think about it. I mean, it's like everyone knows everyone, especially through the convention scene. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So I have to ask, what was going through your brain about making Fetus? Because I love that movie. I fucking love it. It's just like I never would have expected the way it ended. Something, I don't know. Something special happened when I made that movie. It just... I always say, oh, just all the nastiest ideas I had at the time just fit perfectly into that movie. Uh, I started out trying to do something different and it wasn't natural. Like I was really inspired by like the Japanese splatterpunk type stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, kind of like Tokyo Gore Police. Yeah. But even before that, um, like Tetsuo, the Iron Man was a huge influence on me. Mm hmm. 
It was kind of like it was Tetsuo the Iron Man and the Japanese guinea pig films. Yeah, the guinea pig series. Yeah. But as I started filming, I realized the cyberpunk style was not didn't come natural to me at all. So I just I had the short story. It was supposed to be a short story at first. And I just let it evolve. I just started telling the character story and then all the other elements just kind of naturally fell into place. And then it just turned into like the more darker, hard movie than that it was. So the whole cyberpunk thing just kind of like went away. I'm sitting mm-hmm. behind my chest, so I keep hitting my symbol when I swing my hands around. Sorry. <laughs> That's fine. But, uh, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's actually what the first movie where is how I make my movies now. And I don't write a full script anymore. Mainly I've noticed. I don't have investors. I don't have someone that I have to deliver a blueprint to. So I was like, well, why, why should I spend a year putting this together, this thing on paper? Because what happens was the last two scripts I wrote, I think, was for Adonai Sleep and Bone Sickness. And half of those movies were completely different than what was in the script anyways. So Fetus was the first one where I just like, all right, here's the outline. I know what I'm shooting. This is the type of movie I want to make. And I just let it evolve as we went along. And that's how I've been doing it ever since. I love that. Like, I have to, like, amend you on that. Like, it's not amend. That's the wrong word. But congratulate you on the way you fucking direct and, like, the way you create movies. Because I've never experienced that before. I remember going on set and you're just like, so um, you're going to do, like, some of this stuff. And you have an option between one and A. A and B, and I'm just like, okay, let's let's do this. Let's make a movie. Yeah, it's, it's just cool. so creative. It's so free flowing, and it's just awesome. That's cool. Yeah, that's good. We just yeah we because I realized we don't have to do it by the rules because yeah. we don't have investors. We don't have outside producers. Well, sometimes we do have some outside producers, but again, it's just fans helping out. Mm-hmm. But um, there's no business people in suits saying all right we're giving you this you have to have this done by this date and so it's like okay we have to do 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 get all this done we know everything that we have to get done we make sure we get it done but at the same time we let the movie just evolve on its own and just become what it becomes something better than the original idea each time what's also nice you're almost in the position where like you're the suit yourself where it's like let's set a goal and, you know, it, and that's really not even like a suit mentality. That's just like, you know, production mentality. It's like, you know, let's figure this out. We'll plan this for X amount of time. We know what we need to get. And once we have our crew together. We don't have a boss. We don't have someone saying, all right, this has to be done this way, this way. And also, I know once we finally, bone sickness is the one that finally put us on the map and people start to notice us. And we kind of. I realized what people like to see from us. So, and it's basically, it's the big effect sequences. So like a lot of people have told me like, I'd love to see what you could do with a million dollars. And I would always say, you're not going to see a mobile vision films movie because you're probably maybe 10, maybe like, you know, that you could make and be smart with how you, because I hear people with like, Oh, $50 million. I can make 20 movies for that. (laughs) And the other problem, the main problem would be is, Okay, someone's giving you a million dollars. They're going to want to see the return on that million dollars yeah. by a certain date. And there's they don't no way to see they... the same thing, same effect quality, and like something. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, but the thing is, those producers and those investors, there's no way they're going to give us the amount of time that it takes to create these type of effect sequences. So I'd have to compromise the whole thing. And, and time is a thing, too, because even in Hollywood, nobody wants to give you the time if you don't need it. They just yeah. want everything instantaneously. And they're, they're willing to basically throw the special effects guy under the bus and say, yeah. let's just go digital. That's why we end up with so much shit CGI now. <laughs> That's why I like the mix between CGI and practical effects. Like, I think putting this together can be okay. It's a tool, and it's only as good as the people who are, you know, working with it. I mean, it's funny. You look at all these, like, made-for-sci-fi movies. These are all the same people that work, like, for Industrial Light and Magic, you know, doing the compositing. But they're only given, like, a a fraction of the budget because it's TV. And, you know, TV, Uh you know, is very different, especially, like, for the sci-fi channel. You know, they're only getting a fraction of that cost, and they get to render it as best as they can. But they even know, well, we can do the creature for you, we can do the shadow work, but it's not going to be a hundred percent, you know, great looking. But we can make it for you. Yeah. So unfortunately, instead of it being a tool to help everything, it kind of became a like a crutch where yeah, it became dependent. Well, this once we're done wrapping, we'll just let them do it, everything, and whatever. Whatever they give us, that's fine. It's just TV, so. so it's like they don't even try. Yeah, it's kind of sad. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I hate to admit it, but it's kind of killed my love for movies because as soon as I see CGI blood shoot on the screen or whatever, I'm just like, ah, oh, Jesus Christ, really? Right, like you could have <laughs> done that yourself. That's fine. Well, CGI yeah. blood is a very hard thing to do and make it look good because it's so easy to just have, throw some you know, an optical in there and have the spurt and not fully render it. And it's yeah. like, all right, we understand what it's supposed to be, but that, but, but I'm not impressed by that. Yeah. You know, I mean, if, if they give it more time, maybe a little more to it, maybe render it out, you know, a little more and just, you know, focus your efforts on that particular effect. I've done stuff where I'm happy with the practical, then they throw a CG effect on top of it. And I'm like, there's no reason for that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know why they feel like they need to enhance it or I don't know. But I mean, it happens, you know. Sometimes the editors, you know, want to be a little creative with uh, post production and try to add something and say, like, well, whatever. And I can't well, even like, for it. One of the best tools for it is I had to do it in one of my early movies. I just goofed around with a, the paint program I had in my editing uh, system at the time did an effect on uh, my movie called Dead Girl on Film. And my friend Rich George, he ends up hanging from chains through the sockets of his skull. Oh, wow. And we had it rigged up where the chain was on the from the rafters of his ceiling. He had it, he had it rigged up. He's really good at all this type of stuff. So he had it so he could actually support himself. He had a chain going down the side of his leg, went down in, as a loop into his uh, work boot. So he was literally just suspending himself by putting one foot in a loop of this chain. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. and it went up a certain way, and you know it, we had it lined up so you could see it was coming out of his face, and then we did the close-up of the gore effect afterwards. But the best take, I didn't notice it when we were filming. The chain moved on his leg, and you could see the chain going up, his, um, up the back of his thigh. Oh, so I'm watching it. When I go to edit, I'm like, oh, shit, what the hell? So I just went, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to try this paint program. And I I took the color from his pants, and I actually erased the chain on his leg. And it worked. It worked 
perfectly. I was like, oh shit, no way. That's, That's where CGI <laughs> mainly should be used, I think, to help yeah. those Yeah, to things. help take away the wire work, you know, yeah. and, and hide some of that stuff or to remove a building. Yeah. It's amazing, you know. That's the, that's how it should to be. To enhance it. Yeah. Well, it is enhancing, yeah. Whether if it's, you know, a, even like a certain, like, you know, sometimes doing a prosthetic, you know, just throwing like a little bit of, um, you know, like sound, you know, or squish, you know, in there can be a, sometimes more effective than actually kind of seeing a, that, that CG squirt, you know, even though it looks great practically. Yep. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, a lot of people sometimes forget about how important sound is, you know, to some of these, you know, gore effects too. <laughs> oh, sound is huge. I've, I learned that over the last 10 years or so. Once I, I got a hold of some uh, sound effects libraries online and I just started messing around with them and I get addicted. I'm just like, Oh, I got to put this in here. I can put this in there. And I've had my uh, friends of mine have been saying you, they notice a huge difference. Like I'll watch like one of my early movies, like I don't, they sleep and I'm like, Oh, it's so quiet. <laughs> <laughs> like there's like it's only what I felt like I needed to have, but then I watch I watch like the newer movies, and it's like a whole soundtrack of sounds going on, and it just it makes such a huge difference. Yeah, and it's just uh, it's just amazing how much you know of a difference. I mean, I've heard like the first note. In, I think it was Richard Band who used this quote: "The first note in, in music in music is silence, but when it comes to how it crescends and um you know if like like if you're whatever um you hear that scream and then you see like guts you know basically fall out and just you know you you can have that amazing visual but just you know that little sticky icky sound you know just can make a world of difference yep Yeah, certain things is like they'll it'll get into the psyche of the viewer, and then now that's not the visual, but they're actually hearing it. That's what will make them cringe and be like, "Oh, Jesus Christ!" Uh, yeah, and that's funny. one of those situations where it's like almost like less is more, and especially yeah. if it you know work. Yeah, I've done that for a few things. You know, people, some people are like, "Oh, I thought you were going to do this." I'm like, "No, I figured." You know, you build up to a certain point, but certain ones, I'm like, "Nah, I'll leave that to people's imagination because sometimes it can be." It it can mess them up better. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree yeah. with you. Even like some of like the sound parts that you put in your films, like septic. Yep, that freaks me the fuck out, and I hated it. <laughs> it was like well, a high pitch. Yeah, I wanted like the noise type music stuff and the distortion and everything. I wanted to make people feel uneasy, like right off the bat. Like, I wanted you did it. To- so kudos to you. Round of applause. <laughs> One of my favorite music groups, actually, um, they were supposed to do the soundtrack because they use so much experimental stuff. Coil, um, they uh, were supposed to do the soundtrack for Hellraiser, but um, they use like kind of a lot of percussion, you know, things that are kind of backwards almost that shouldn't sound good. But yeah. I love when there's that unsettling sound. I mean, I think the original Chainsaw is one of the best soundtracks because of the soundscape that they're using like that you know in the yeah, beginning yeah. it's like it's so creepy and i just i, I love that type of shit because it just enhances the the, the meal the, the mood and the feel of yeah. um that viscera that you're you know witnessing 
like that simple sound effect from Texas Chainsaw. I mean, just imagine being in the, what was it, 1973 or 74? And that audience, as soon as you hear that sound, that probably just unnerved everybody in that oh, theater. Yeah, oh, it's shit. unsettling. Yeah, like what's what? What did we just get ourselves into? <laughs> <laughs> just by one little sound. The one sound that, that really like unsettled me. Your your intestines look ball like, and potatoes—they look like potatoes. <laughs> They'll look better once they're latex and painted. I agree. I agree. I'm just saying. Looks like potatoes. They look like ball potatoes. Balls and potatoes. Balls and potatoes. Your potato sack looks very ball-esque. It's a dictator. It's a dictator. (laughs) I don't know. The one sound that, like, I hate, like, I, ugh, like, ugh, I don't want to keep hearing this fucking noise is, like, pigs getting slaughtered. That, that sound freaks me out. I don't like it. Oh, yeah, it's definitely unpleasant. I mean, <laughs> it is unpleasant. Right there, you're talking like motel hell sound effects. Right. You know, you know slaughter, the slaughter is the concept. Yeah, it is horrible, but the sounds of it's like. It's just the sound. Like, I can understand, but it's just like, <laughs> I don't want to hear it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gives you the dry heaves. Yeah, it does. Like, I'll, I'll withdraw it. Well, Endure it, endure it. Yeah. Ugh. I'm thinking about it. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, Brian, dude, what's your point? I was just what? about to ask that. I, or have you ever? Yeah. I've tried that a couple of times. Um, only recently, basically, um, four years ago or something, right, be- right before COVID. But I'll admit, I don't really get into it because I think if I did, I'd never get anything done. <laughs> yeah. I'm lazy enough as it is already, so I just know I would never get anything done. I just sit on the couch and just watch like Super Troopers and stuff. <laughs> do you think it's like maybe with what you smoked might have been like an indica? Like, do you think if you did like a sativa, do you think that might be able to, or do you, do you just feel like, hey, if I smoke anything, I'm probably just going to sit on the couch? Yeah, that's that was the impression it gave me. Well, people get into, like, a zen state where, like, you get high and you're in this, like, fuzz. And you're, like, because you're not familiar with it, you kind of get stuck in that, like, fuzzy stage. Does that sound familiar? Oh, it's funny because, actually, um, it was someone I knew that gave us, uh, Stacy had wanted to buy something or whatever. So he told me, warned me, I told him, he's going, this is going to be the first time I've ever done this. He's like, all right. He, he, it was funny. He explained perfectly. He goes, at some point, you're going to get paranoid. And he explained the whole process. He goes, when you start feeling this, tell yourself, you know exactly what this is. He goes, this is just the paranoia and just let it go. And I was like, I, it happened. I was like, oh, shit. Oh, fuck. Oh, and then I'm like, oh, okay, cool. No what? problem. I'm fine. And, then, <laughs> that day, I were, and it was funny that we were watching so, so, Super Troopers at the time when we were doing it. But, yes. <laughs> they're awesome. I, I love that. Uh, Broken Lizard, right? Is that the name? Oh, yeah. Broken Lizard. I yeah. Club One of the things I, I loved before. watching when I was stoned, like, younger, was, um, not, like, too young, but there was, like, the Skin and Max horror movies. Oh, yeah. Where they were, like, kind of like a one-eyed monster. <laughs> and there was, I think there was another one where this guy gets, like, he breaks down in the middle of the road, and he goes to this farmhouse, and he's like, yeah, you can work on the farm i'll fix your car just don't fuck my ladies like his daughters 
he was in a traumatic fucking car accident and had to get like a penis transplant and the penis was a serial killer's penis. <laughs> so it would detach from his body and kill and like it was just hilarious. <laughs> What's I, I your imagine. favorite thing? <laughs> I mean, shit, I, I, I've lost count of how many penis mutilations I've done over the course of 20 years. Um, which is only Salty appropriate. Salty handjob, what, here. Ryan? What's um, that? Salty handjob? <laughs> Salty handjobs all around. Sorry, it just reminded me when you said penis mutilation. Go on. Yeah, but I mean, I think I did like three short films back to back to back, and they all involved genital mutilations of the male variety. And I'm thinking to myself, how many fake penises do I have to look at? <laughs> yeah, also, over the last five years, all of a sudden, penis mutilation just got really popular. Well, I think, you know, I like the Japanese. Because, you know, they love that, you know, mutilation, oh, yeah. like the, the genitalia mutilation. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I I always think of, like, audition, um, you know, being, like, one of the first ones I noticed with, like, you know, when it comes to nip mutilation. But Jesus Christ, when it comes to dick and ball mutilation, I mean, you know, whatever. I mean, that could even go as far back as, say, like, Street Trash, which I think is a fucking uh, hysterical movie. I love that movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get that penis flying all over the place. Uh, funny thing, when first time me and um, uh, Rich George got a hold of it, and we're watching that, and he lived, we're, back then we still lived at our parents' house, and we're watching at his house. The one scene his mother walks in the room is right as the penis is flying through the air. And we're like, of course, of course you walk in now. <laughs> <laughs> the most convenient and opportune time. They always find it, you know, walking in. What are you, are you watching? Is, is this porn? No, it's not. It's a horror movie. Trust us, it's a horror movie, yeah. It's one of the same creature, I guess. <laughs> well, either way, there's a money shot of a different variety. Yeah. So many different types. Yes. <laughs> it's like to talk about the other side of like when it actually comes, I guess, for people to know about the sometimes certain things you have to do. I did like a scene in Septic, um, like she was saying the salty hand job thing or whatever, but I had you don't see it actually happen. You see the aftermath, but uh, I got um, someone's uh, dick was flayed open, like on both sides. So I was like, as I'm making it, I'm like, shit, I don't really, I don't know what this looks like, obviously. <laughs> so that's when the research comes in. And I was like, all right, just go on Google and type in penis mutilation. <laughs> Honestly, the things that we have to look up just to get like a more accurate type of like effect kind of fucks you up. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of what they because I'm like, well, I can't just put in penis mutilation. I have to put yeah. in some type of surgical type thing. I had to put in like, like a oh no, I cut my penis images. <laughs> <laughs> so I, like the actual like medical ones came up, and yeah, it was the most painful looking research I ever had to do for me. How does self circumcise gone wrong? <laughs> <laughs> And I'm saving, I was on my, I was using the PC at the time. So I'm saving them onto my hard drive. I'm like, all right, I'll save that one. And I'm looking, I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. So that, mean, that was definitely the worst research I ever had to do. That's the, I think that's one of the most grisly parts of the makeup effects job is the research and development because, yep. you know, it's, uh, you know, looking at real burns, you know, it's, it's unsettling, you know, and to create a facsimile, you know, you can make it look just as good, but, 
you still think of those pictures and it's like, man, you know. Yeah. Well, the whole point is, I mean, we're supposed to, we're trying to recreate anatomy. Yeah. And when it comes to the gore, mo- I mean, most of us don't know what real gore right in front of us looks like because you don't see that happening. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, well, you have to go and just try to, it's like, okay, find the, what does it actually look like in there? So. I like how you can like take reality and mix it with fantasy as well, like extravagant it. Uh, who is it? Fauci? Fauci? Lucio Fauci? Yeah, like the effects that like you and I do, like I've definitely learned from you, but I like the big, gory, gross looking like effects. Like eye mutilations. He loves eye mutilations, uh, Fauci. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because like some people. Sometimes when it comes up to like, you know, people like say, Oh, what's the goriest movies, all this, but, but some people mention stuff and be like, well, that's just a lot of blood. Mm-hmm. Like I look at it as, all right, they, you've got bloody movies, but then yeah. you've got gore movies. Gore is more Viscera. in, in the anatomy. Yeah. Seeing yeah. the destroyed body, seeing the destroyed and the open revealed anatomy inside us that's more gore where because you can have a movie where you're just spraying blood everywhere it'll be awesome it'll be fun as hell but again that's just blood being shot out and stuff like there's a german movie i'm never gonna be able to say something kind of brutal duel or something like that they're gonna be like necromantic for a second i uh, was it Unearthed Films had finally put out this movie this german underground splatter movie and when i watched it it was fun it was totally it was bloody as hell but again all they're basically doing was holding tubes and it was just like blood shooting everywhere but there was never any actual gore effects like a lot of there wasn't much actual gore effects put into it it was just that a lot of times they were just doing the whole thing of like hide the tube and just have the geysers coming out so there's definitely i i think there's a difference you can have a bloody as hell movie but it's not graphic because they see in the anatomy yeah, because, I mean, you can have a cut. That's great. But, you know, it's nice when you can say, if you see, like, a little bit of the windpipe, it's like, ooh, you know, just, you know, to, to know, like, I mean, I mean, that's the good thing about, like, going to special makeup effects school is taking classes on anatomy and yep. actually figuring out, you know, how the hell stuff looks, you know, when it's exposed to air, you know, like how the blood yeah. oxidizes and stuff like that and, you know, if, if you're doing a disemboweling, it's nice if you can keep some of the organs that are there, you know, I mean, they might not look pretty when they come out, but, you know, if you can kind of make a difference between a, differenti- a differentiation of, okay, so that's supposed to be the liver. And it's nice when people can kind of use color, you know, differently. So everything is not it consists the same color because that helps breaks up, you know, what's inside of us once we're splayed out. Yep. I have to ask, has, um, have you ever had the cops called on you because of the effects that you've done? The only time we ever had cops show up, you know, we didn't realize it had happened. I was filming in an apartment in, um, Providence. It was actually during the movie, I don't, they sleep. And, uh, my sister, she was going to RISD. So she was staying in like an apartment there with like some other friends of hers that were students there. And we're filming a scene and we had a scene where, you know, the vampire throws a priest over the couch and he lands on the floor. Didn't realize there was an apartment below us and they had, they had a security alarm on the ceiling. So we did like four takes and a body going boom, boom, constantly on the floor, set the silent alarm off. Um, 
surprisingly, the cops were really cool with us because there's a silent alarm going off in this apartment. And when they showed up, I'm walking down the front stairs with a box full of electronic equipment because <laughs> we had just finished. So I'm bringing all my equipment back to the car. And they had to go through my sister's apartment. My sister's like, what the fuck's going on? Uh? <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I didn't mean to get the cops. Have you, ever wit- have you ever witnessed anyone watch one of your movies where they have gotten physically sick? Have you, you know, ever witnessed that? Not or do my- you want to see that? <laughs> it's I mean, you know, from yeah. people. Definitely. Um, uh, oh, the probably the best reaction I ever got, which really it was really confusing at first, was um, I got invited to Slaughter in Syracuse. I think they only did three of them, and I, I was uh, uh, the third one. And at the time, Septic was only going to be a short film, and. I had mentioned it that the guy who was running it had heard about it. He's like, Hey, could we play septic? Is it going to be ready in time? I'm like, at first it was like, yeah, no problem. We'll get it ready in time. But I had trouble casting because some of the ideas I wanted to put in the movie, I couldn't find someone to do, do them. So it took a lot longer. I told the guy, I'm like, all right, I'm going to have an extended trailer. I'll have like, it'll be like a short film, but it's going to be more of a trailer for you. It's not going to have a lot of the gore effects, but it is what it is. He's like, all right, no problem. So that played. And in the end of it, in Septic, there's a 10-year-old girl that um, she's the daughter of the two lead characters. And in part of the movie, she ends up getting killed. But we actually show it, like, we show it graphically on screen. You see her, all of a sudden, she gets her throat slit. So you see a a 10-year-old girl getting her throat slit with the blood coming out and everything. And that was, like, the final shot in the actual video that we played. So I was like, oh, what's this going to be like? I was waiting for the reaction. And the place was just dead silent. And me and my friend looked at each other and we're like, "Uh oh, (laughs) this is this a good reaction? Why didn't anyone react? What the hell? And then my friend was telling me later, he goes, you fucked with everyone so bad. No one knew what to do. Everyone just sat there. I'm like, all right, that was actually a good reaction. (laughs) Yeah. So that was and it was funny because afterwards, um, Bone Sickness played. That was the main movie at towards the end. And we did a QA. and a It was the first time I ever did a QA, and a which was nerve wracking. But um. It got brought up, septic got brought up, the, what they saw earlier in the day. And I, that scene got mentioned. I'm like, well, you see what happened to a 10 year old girl. And they're like, oh, yeah, Jesus Christ. Uh. So I finally got some type of feedback from that. But at first, yeah, I was just like, I didn't know what. I'm like, was that good? Was that bad? Why didn't it get any? Like, there was nothing. <laughs> but I guess some people were like, yeah, you shocked people so much that everyone just sat there still and didn't know how to react. I was like, well, that's cool. <laughs> I think it's like just the the heart jerker too, where it's like kind of like there's a line, Brian, and you're just like fuck that line. <laughs> but that one, I'm like, you know what? We have to show it. We have to. It has. Yeah, it's normally one of those things that you wouldn't, you know, when it comes to kids. I want well, any any of the other movies because we've had kids in other movies, but when it's uh, the other stuff is the supernatural type horror, it's fine. It's slaughter kids because it's yeah. all fake. It's fantasy. Septic was different yeah. because it's reality based and these people are all scumbags. Then to, to see this little girl who was stuck in the situation, but then to mm-hmm. see what happens to her. Yeah, I'll admit And that. that's reality. Uh, like this shit that you happened in Septic really does happen. Yeah, we did kind of I try to find just the right way to cross the line. Mm-hmm. I didn't obviously not you don't want to too far. Yeah. And those kids are fucking awesome. Yeah. I mean you don't the whole thing is I didn't 
obviously I didn't want to piss off the viewers because if you piss people off and they turn the movie up, well then you just failed because you didn't entertain them. Yeah. Want to still keep it entertaining, but make them give them a shock scene that just makes them go, Oh shit. But it has to make sense with the story. And I think, I think we, I think we pulled that off because surprisingly I haven't gotten any hate from that movie. I thought it was, I thought it was going to piss off some people. I was like, Oh, some people aren't going to, you're going to have a problem with some of these scenes, but surprisingly, I haven't. I mean, I just had a problem peeing on a bed, but, you know, that wasn't the worst thing that I could have been doing, so I'll take it. <laughs> I think that worked great, because you weren't sure what was going to happen, but then all of a sudden you see that stream hit, and then you Jesus Christ, there we go. <laughs> right? <laughs> that's that's them sleeping in the bed. See, that's the stuff where you can have fun with the audience. That I like doing yeah. that type of stuff. It's like, okay, where you the hopefully the audience is invested enough where like, all right, where are you gonna go with this? And then you do something a little more obscure and just like, oh Jesus, all right, these people are just gonna do whatever the whatever. All right, so keep everyone on edge. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I mean and and sometimes that's just important to do because it really depends on the tone you're conveying, you know, with your film. Because you know, it's always nice when you know, each production varies, you know, a different tone where you're just dipping into, you know, different um, emotions, you know, and fucking with people, you know, and, and, yep. and, and I think that's important, you know, as a filmmaker to just try to, you know, that's how you grow, you know, I think as a filmmaker to just try to generate different reactions because you don't want the same reaction all the fucking time. That's the fun part is trying, yeah, trying to find ways to make people. And it's like, wait, this is only the first few minutes then what's next. So yeah. that, that's kind of what I learned from, you know, doing this stuff for about 20 years now. It's just, um, if that, if that first punch is a whammer and it's like, all right, mm-hmm. okay, let's see what's coming up. Yeah. And also like, like I admit that I tell people like, yeah, I make gore films, but at the same time I tell people, but I take the time to tell, I like to tell complex stories and the thing is, you don't want to just make a gore film that's going to be like an effects reel. Because then people get bored. It basically becomes like a porno. <laughs> except mm-hmm. with like, it's just, you're watching the same, well, all right, here's another gore effect. All right, but if there's no story and there's no way to like build up to stuff, that's when people are just going to have to like half pay attention to the movie. Which yeah, I think and that's where... With underground movies, a lot of people go in thinking they're not, they're not expecting to see much accomplish something. Yeah, because when people are invested... You know, coming into something, it's wonderful when you can um, play with their expectations. So let's see what happens when they get, you know, their slaughter. And it's yeah. like it has more meaning, you know, to, when it comes to those deaths rather yeah. than just meaningless deaths, which usually, yeah. you know, would happen in many sequels of any franchise. It's like, who the hell's boyfriend is this, you know? Okay, mm-hmm. Michael Myers is killing him. It's like, well, that, make, that didn't make any sense. It's like, that was a cool effect, but it was a trivial character. Thank you, yeah. victim number five. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because if you can get, if you've somewhat invested the audience, like, and they want to see what's going to happen next, that gives the gore effects well punch. Mm-hmm. If they're just watching a series of events, then it's just like, oh, that was a cool effect. But if they're kind of watching, like, oh shit, what's going to happen? What? Oh Jesus Christ! Then it's like, boom, you nail them with it. It gives it some. It gives it some validity. Yeah, you know, and credence and, and meaning. And I think it's hard because I think I think it's so easy to just do a really cool effect for the sake of an effect and yeah. not feel for the character. 
Yeah, I think it's important. Whoever the character is, if it's someone you feel like you're supposed to be invested in, that's great. It's like, who is this guy? Why is he getting, why is he, it's like, yeah, it's a great kill, but it's like, I, <laughs> it's meaningless, but it's yeah. cool. Yeah. No, I agree with that. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, where are we at? Yeah. Now, um, Jesse, do you have any questions? Um, Who's your favorite actress, Brian? That's been in your movies. <laughs> well, it you are. It's hard Tell to say just me. one. <laughs> Be fair with him. Give him a top. No, honestly, like, who's actors. your favorite person in your movies? I don't. Well, I mean, well, what I type mean, of character? Because I don't want to be like, oh, person. Oh, what type of character? Type of character. What's your favorite type of character in your movies? Yeah. Oh, geez, I don't know. Who's the most fun character to write for? I see. Now these are the hard questions. Because <laughs> um, I feel you- like you have a lot of fun, like making effects or making like that story of how is this person going to get ripped apart or something. Yeah, it's just someone who who has something a di- like a, some type of a background to them. I like so I like the characters to have already have a background, so it makes sense for them to be in this obscure, bizarre situation, as opposed to like just you know, things happening to a random person, kind of like, you know, oh, these five characters just have to go to a cabin and then then this weird stuff happens. I like to have someone who, there's already things going on in their lives, maybe they're, you know, something has already been in their background and that's why this stuff is there and why this stuff's happening around them. I like to have like their... The seven sense type thing, like this person deserves it and you know why. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's that's those are the kills that are the most fun because usually it's the bad guy that gets the you know the comeuppance you know where he might be deemed the most graphic at the end of the movie where some of these other characters can be you know just cool effects but you know depending on what their character arc is how they fit into the story and how do they keep pushing the for the story the story forwards yeah i like yeah definitely somehow their lives have to incorporate into the stuff rather than just random stuff happening to somebody. I can dig it. I like writing for things that happen in my life, and I'm all like, yeah, you bitch from middle school, you're dead in my movie now. Mm." (laughs) (laughs) So childish, but it it, it works. It works. Yeah. So, Billy, do um, do we have a strand of weed of the day? Well, um... Even though I'm down in the shop, uh, I just took a hit earlier. I did, uh, what the hell did I do? Um, I found some purple Urkel. Um, and I've actually, you know, been holding on to it for, it's funny because I'll buy like a hundred bucks worth and I'll make it last for like over a month. And I know people that will just like buy it. Nathan is like, okay, this will be gone by tomorrow because yeah. sometimes it's nice to just have like a puff puff. That's all I need, you know, and then just have a bite to eat and get lost and work for a few hours. But if I was drinking, forget about it. I wouldn't want to, you know, probably, you know, do anything rather than just, you know, sit on the couch and maybe watch a movie and have a laugh. But, um, yeah, Purple Oracle is the strain of the day. I've been smoking Titanic. Yeah, I just smoked Titanic. And and it makes me feel, like, like uppity. And I'm, like, happy. And it makes, I don't know, I love it. It could just be this bong, too, but... I'm pro bong. I don't know about you viewers. You should tell us on our social medias. I'm all for the killer bong, the evil bong. I'm all for it. 
Evil Bong. We still have to watch that movie and commentary oh, it. I got it down here. I'm gonna show you. So while he's getting his thing, where can we find you on social media, Brian? On Facebook under my name, uh, Brian Paulin. On uh, Instagram, it's Brian, what's that, underscore, Mobile Vision Films. That's pretty much all I, I don't, I'm not on Twitter, I'm not on any of the other places, so it's just Facebook and uh, Instagram. And I will be selling, I'm sorry, what? I was just going to say, when we sell our movies on eBay, under Mobile Vision Films. Perfection, that was the question I was going to (laughs) ask. eBay is our main spot right now where we self-distribute. We're actually going to be getting rid of our website because uh, it's mostly on eBay now, and I hate updating the website. <laughs> and you we have to get just a- have like a fan page on Facebook or something. Yeah, we actually. Oh, I'd have to make a new one. We um originally our movie page was on Facebook, but it was originally years ago when I first started. My name was under Movision Films and. That's when they made us all change, and we had to use our real names. So that page ended up getting lost. Uh, so eBay is the best place to buy your movies at this point in time. Yep. Yeah, we've got. Um, I think we've got Fetus, Septic, Cryptic Plasm, and Morbid Tales on there. But we've also been have been signing with some other people, um, doing re-releases of our older movies. We just signed with Saturn's Core, which is a division of uh, Vinegar Syndrome, and they just yeah. really sleep on Blu-ray. That's huge. Congratulations, dude. Thank I mean, you. Because Vinegar Syndrome definitely has been, you know, become quite a name with, with boutique labels, you know, and I noticed like with the Aftra series, you know, kind of going with um, some of these older DIY films. I, I see like Donald Farmers, you know, some of the movies, you know, being released now through... Vinegar Syndrome, but that's wonderful, you know, having the homegrown horror stuff that you do uh, be distributed by those guys as well. Yeah, they've been great. Um, Rush Snyder, who I talked to, he's he's awesome. He's like He's been really cool to talk with and uh, do business with and everything. So, yeah, we're planning on doing more with them. So, yeah, I'm very happy with that. It's fantastic. And Jesse, where can we find you at? Oh, Find my obnoxious name, Jesse Waglin Hall, on Facebook. That's W A E G E L E I N dash H A L L. And um, yeah, I'm on Instagram too for S P F X Jesse. And you'll find me somewhere, or just Google my name. You know, you'll I'm somewhere in the interwebs. Yeah, just Google Where can it. We find you? <laughs> Uh, you can find me on Facebook, uh, at Billy, B-I-L-L-Y, period, coin, C-O-Y-N-E, on Instagram. You can find me as all lowercase, mad, Dr. C, M-A-D-D-R-C. Awesome, awesome. And thank you very much for, to the Boom Bats Media Network for hosting our show. We appreciate Thank you, Maddie. You. We love you and appreciate you. Thank you, Daddy Maddie. I said Daddy, it. Daddy and Uncle Billy. Mm. And thank you very much, Brian, for joining us on this yeah, episode. Brian, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate this, dude. And, um, you know, thank you for sharing, you know, your stories with us. And, um, you know, it's, it's always a pleasure talking to you and, you know, looking forward to seeing you in a few months in October at uh, Monster Expo 3D. Yeah, thanks. No problem. I, yeah, thanks for inviting me on. This was fun. It was fun just talking about everything. 
Awesome. Right. Well, I appreciate like you having me like on your films too. Like, I don't know. You've been like the beginning of like my path of like whatever I'm doing with life and I'm having so much fun doing it. So I just want to say like, again, thank you for everything that you've done. Hey, you're welcome. Well, thank you for, thank you for everything you do. Cause I mean, you're a lot of fun to film with and you're up for pretty much everything and everything. So it's fun collaborating with you. Yeah. And I'm actually kind of booked up until the end of the physical year, but if you're doing anything next year, dude, be more than a pleasure to help you guys out, you know, on the production. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're always looking for people who are just genuine fans. that just love doing it because we love horror films. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just fun. come with us on set and we'll put you to work. <laughs> cool. Cool. So are we going to close it out here? Are we going to, are we going to sing Jesse? That concludes another episode of Blood and Bud. Start the song, Billy. Blood and Bud. Blood and Bud. We're You're all about our blood, blood and Bud. We'll never get this right, but that's no. okay. We're simpletons and we still can't get this right. And it's only three fucking blood, words. Blood, blood, blood and Bud. Blood. You're not Here we are. Blood, blood and Bud. Do you like it, Brian? That was awesome.